We welcome Dr. Jonathan Sanford, the uh, provost of the University of Dallas, in to have what we call the University of Dallas segment. And he always brings a wonderful guest with him. So good afternoon, Dr. Sanford. Good afternoon, Dave. It's great to join you again today. And indeed, we've got an outstanding guest, Dr. Gerard Wegemer, who is a professor of English at the University of Dallas and also the director of the Center for Thomas More Studies. And we're going to talk about St. Thomas More today. And I, I don't think St. Thomas Aquinas will feel the least bit slighted that um, <laughs> in, instead of, um, as so many of my my conversations do, we focus on elements of his thought. But but uh, today we have a real treat talking about St. Thomas More. All right. And Thomas More calls Aquinas the flower of the Middle Ages. Well, hmm. there we go. There's a connection. Yeah, <laughs> in, indeed. So um, part of part of the reason why I, I wanted to bring Dr. Wegemer um, on the show today is because he's just published through Yale University Press in partnership with Dr. Stephen Smith, who is um, a former Ph.D. student of his, The Essential Works of Thomas More. And this is a, a, a work of 20 years in the making. And, and could you tell us a little bit, Dr. Wegemer, about what is contained in this work and, and um, what, what its, what its uh, distinctive features are? Well, we have all 20 of his books we also have 300 of his poems, a reconstruction of his famous trial, over 100 illustrations and artworks that are related to his life and writings, and also the prayers and spiritual guidebooks he wrote throughout his life, mm-hmm. beginning, middle, and end. And we have four Socratic dialogues he wrote. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And, you know, one, one of the things that Dr. Wegemer and I have been talking about um, in route today and, and in past conversations has been the the unknown dimensions of St. Thomas More. So what, when was it that uh, St. John Paul II declared um, St. Thomas More the, the patron of statesmen? In November 2000 okay. for the Jubilee of Politicians. Mm. And, and that it, was the result of some 40,000 leaders who attended the ceremony mm-hmm. who had petitioned that he be made patron of statesmen. Okay. So when when you were studying um, St. Thomas More and you wrote a dissertation on his <laughs> his great work, Utopia, um, you didn't think of, of St. Thomas More as, as a likely candidate to be the patron saint of statesmen, but, but you've come to, to change your mind about that. Um, it, it prodded, no doubt, um, by, or inspired, I should say, by, by uh, St. John Paul II, but... Well, having been educated in the late 60s mm-hmm. with so much turmoil and so much civil unrest, when I saw Man for All Seasons, I said to myself, great saint, but not a statesman. Mm-hmm. Here, here was the church outlawed now for the next 350 years, and he was silent. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out that he was not silent. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote five books, which got him imprisoned mm-hmm. after his resignation. Mm-hmm. And at the highest level, without disturbing his duties to state, Mm -hmm. he actually galvanized the parliament Mm -hmm. to oppose Henry VIII and Cromwell. Mm -hmm. And that's what finally led them to decide to take the risk to imprison what was the most popular leader of of the time. Well, let, let's maybe unpack a little bit more about this this um, dimension of St. Thomas More as a as a patron of statesmen, and, and because it seems to me that the two of the ways in which um, we ought to be turning to St. Thomas More in our own day and age is is a with respect to what he has to say about 
the, the political order and about statesmen in particular. What, what should we be looking for in statesmen? What should be their, their guiding principles? And, um, how, how might that be realized in our, in our own day and age? So that's, that's one thing I would like to explore. And the, the other dimension of this is, is St. Thomas More was a, a great advocate for education. You know, one of, one of the first to really strongly advocate for the education of women. Um, and, um, his, his approach to education saw fit to prepare people to be what we might call responsible citizens, to be genuine contributors to the common good. And um, he also provides a model for, for civil discourse. And and so both both elements, um, the the high level of states, uh statecraft on the one hand and and then the the um, uh, activity of of engaging in, in civil discourse on the other are in high need these days and we don't have very many models it seems to me and and um, so could you maybe talk about the 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 statecraft side of this first and and what's distinctive about his approach there and then we'll move into civil discourse it's interesting that the term that saint john paul ii used for moore was the patron of gubernatores Mm -hmm. which is our word governor but it means literally pilot Mm -hmm. And there's an extraordinary amount of knowledge needed and experience to be a good pilot who's able to save a ship in a terrible storm mm-hmm. or to deal with crews that may be rebellious and to have all the supplies on hand that you need to so the foresight. Moore understood that civil service was an expertise as much as a doctor mm-hmm. of medicine or any other very complicated craft like being a, gov- a governor of a ship. Mm-hmm. Now, no one knows that after law school, Moore spent the next 14 years learning Greek and then studying all the sources of our tradition, mm-hmm. the Roman, the Hebrew. The, he read the Greek church fathers, the Latin church fathers, and he thought about them, Aristotle and Plato, all those people who had contributed to what statesmanship was about. Mm-hmm. And he didn't join the king's service until he was 40, once his family was settled and once he had tested himself. And he, and he makes a big point of this, that it's not clear what your vocation is going to be. You can't be a, a governor just because you want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have the qualities to be that kind of a governor? Mm-hmm. And that's why he advocated education for everyone, starting with his own daughters. So he hired tutors from Oxford because his daughters were not allowed to have an Oxford education, mm-hmm. and he knew they needed one. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. And and so, what are the qualities that Moore thinks are are most needed by governors, um, by the pilots of our ship of state, and, and what are the qualities that are most needed by citizens, and um, are they the same qualities? Moore's first published work is actually addressing that question. What does a republic do that's been taken over by a tyrant? Mm-hmm. What can you do in the face of extraordinary power and violence? And the answer he gives is quite surprising. He says what you need is a leader with the prudence and courage and 
wiliness mm-hmm. of uh, Ulysses, mm-hmm. the most famous character in the classical world who can get out of anything. Mm-hmm. And someone who has actually able to be patient and look for the right opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, he that's his first published work, which no one knows about. But then he goes on to enact what that would actually mean mm-hmm. in his most famous work, The Utopia. He's looking a hundred years beyond his own time, and he's planting the seeds of Republican self-government. He's using the vocabulary of Cicero in the ancient Republic mm-hmm. because he sees his society constantly at war, poverty because of the war, poverty because of injustice of an extraordinarily extravagant privileged class who's not concerned about the poor. Mm-hmm. And so he's looking for an institutional way of bringing out the best of England, which is parliamentary Mm self-government, the Magna Carta, uh, all those elements that human beings can be free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, you've been at this this work of promoting reflection upon St. Thomas More for for quite some time. You know, when and why did you begin the Center for Thomas More Studies? It began 20 years ago next week on Thomas More's birthday, <laughs> February the 7th, mm-hmm. when I discovered that there was a movement that Thomas More was being asked to be patron of statesmen. Mm-hmm. And because I wrote this book, contrary to my own opinion about More, called Thomas More and Statesmanship, I volunteered to help put some of the documents together for that ceremony, mm-hmm. for that event. But then also realizing that there would need to be educational materials. Mm-hmm. The first course I taught on Moore was at the University of Dallas in 1990, and I had to copy virtually everything from old books, and they were very hard to read. Mm-hmm. So I knew that there was – we were 500 years behind the time on Thomas More scholarship. When we approached Yale to publish this book, our argument was – Look, Shakespeare had a complete works 12 years after his death, mm-hmm. and there was a new edition every 15 years with better notes, glosses, punctuation. For us to quote a Thomas More book, we have to use the equivalent of a Shakespeare first folio, wow. 1557. Wow. That is remarkable. Mm. So it's, it's, because of the work you've done, you've made more accessible. And that is a, a tremendous gift to to leave all of us here um, who had not been able to access more. Why was he so neglected for so many years? It's it's remarkable given the the richness and and you know I, I I've I've had occasion to look through um, uh, significant parts of uh, the essential works of Thomas More and. Its contributions are remarkable. I've not yet taken in the whole. It's it's more than a thousand pages, and and uh, I've got a day job, but uh, I'll get there eventually. But but why why was he so neglected for so long? Well, it might be interesting to uh, approach that from why was he so embraced in America? Mm-hmm. So the British have critical works of every other author published over 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. The first critical edition of Thomas More was done at Yale University 
it took 40 years, 40 people internationally to do this. And he's always been embraced in America. Mm-hmm. But that's partly because it is clear from his writings that he is strongly in favor of self-government. Mm-hmm. This was his biggest argument with Luther, who was denying, for instance, free will. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moore and Erasmus both said, look, this is the basis of civic culture. Mm-hmm. Moore also understood and had a great passion for justice. And there's a play that we've included in the book that was written by Shakespeare and four other London playwrights at great risk. It was never published. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Sir Thomas More. Mm-hmm. And it produces a completely positive view of this citizen who's got a great sense of humor and is able to bring about justice in every single area where he makes the city better. Mm-hmm. Now, that view is based on this understanding that human beings can have a fullness of life. Uh, and it's something that is apparent in every aspect of Moore's life and writings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that we are meant, each of us, to rule ourselves. Uh, now, but that takes institutional supports from the church, from the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the complicated dimensions of history that makes Moore's life so educational mm-hmm. because every dimension of the drama is at its height. So the problem of a church that's too strongly affiliated with the state, yeah. the bishops are paid by the, by the state. They're, Henry VIII and his father tried to do all they could to pr- appoint their people. Uh, and this has been a long time problem. Right. So institutionally, how do you, how do you change that? that what- what 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 is his view of the relationship between church and state in in an ideal body politic? The church is the spiritual pastor. It's not the temporal mm-hmm. ruler mm-hmm. of large tracts of land or of uh, government positions. I mean, just to give you a a bit of perspective on this, more as the lawyer who was the highest paid lawyer, the best loved lawyer in London, made 400 pounds a year. Mm -hmm. When he became the Chancellor of England, he made 880 pounds a year. Mm. Bishops made 3,000 pounds a year. Whoa. These were secular princes. Mm -hmm. Some of them never served in their diocese. Mm. Bishop Fisher, who's the only one who suffered martyrdom, chose to be in the poorest diocese so he could be a pastor mm-hmm. and that he could spend time, for instance, promoting Cambridge and Oxford and chairs of study there. So this helps explain why there was such a wholesale embrace of the Church of England right after Henry VIII declared his independence from Rome. That's right. And that's why he's so important, because life is complex. Mm-hmm. And that's why you do need an Ulysses. You do need someone very learned and experienced in what is possible. Mm-hmm. I love Thomas More's brief statement of what political success is. Making things as little bad as possible. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Now, for anyone in, in the charge of a family mm-hmm. or of an operation, that's very wise. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. So the, 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 um, the wiliness of Ulysses 
was was not applied at the very end of Moore's life, right? He, 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 part of the reason why he is um, um, celebrated in the church is because of his martyrdom, right? He would not yield on an important principle, and yet he was he he was he was profoundly wily up until the very end. It seems to me. I mean, one one of the things that that um, I admire about Moore is the fact that he didn't rush into martyrdom. He he saw the the great work that he was doing as as very important and wanted to to preserve his life as long as possible to serve God and state. Um, but at the end, he couldn't. Well, and Wiley and a true friend. Mm-hmm. So one of one part of his wiliness is that he was trying to appeal to Henry VIII's better side, mm-hmm. even on the scaffold. Mm-hmm. So in his last words, I die the king's good servant and God's first, mm-hmm. his last words, he's reminding Henry of two conversations they had before he, he agreed to work with him, where they had a conversation about conscience. Mm. And the king said to him both times, look, look first to God and then to your king. Mm-hmm. Now, that's Wiley, but mm-hmm. of a good friend. Moore never spoke badly about Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. And Henry VIII was the friend of Moore even a year and a half after he resigned. Mm. Um, I mean, that's extraordinary. It is. And I mean, th- this is also part of why Moore is so important. Uh, this fullness of life. Uh, one dimension that I love calling attention to is Moore's humor. That's what he's most famous for. Mm-hmm. But this was this was a result of virtue. Mm-hmm. And we all know humor's people that make humor kind of an end and a kind of a weapon mm-hmm. or a defense. Mm-hmm. Moore carefully studied his way of using his humor. He, mm-hmm. he had a phrase, humor should be the sauce, not the meat. Of a conversation. Mm-hmm. But in his first English published work, he reflects, in fact, even in his first translated work, he has a phrase, God loves a cheerful giver. Mm-hmm. He uses that term cheerful from his first published work until he is in the tower. Mm-hmm. He's convinced that chair, that part of charity in a full human sense, has to include cheerfulness. Yeah. And again, that's the practical side uh, of one of the greatest philosophers, I, I believe, has been in our tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, talk a little bit more about friendship. I mean, you, you gave the human side of friendship. How, how does friendship play out when it comes to um, that, that other theme that we were exploring, the, the theme of civil discourse? Because it, you know, more lived through a time which in in this day and age is it's hard to fathom the stakes that were at play, and um, it, it's hard to imagine a, um, a more getting much airtime on the um, the evening news, and and uh, he most likely wouldn't keep a, a Twitter feed and, and that sort of thing. But but he was he was able to um, engage with his interlocutors, be they friend or foe, um, in a in a spirit of friendship and cultivate also genuine intimate friendship. So. How, how does that fit into the? Erasmus says that Moore was born for friendship. Mm-hmm. He could get along with anyone because he understood different personalities, different temperaments. Mm-hmm. In terms of civil discourse, Moore is the first person to give a 
published argument for free speech, when he was the Speaker of the House for the first time, hmm. he gave a def- he gave an argument for the king that they should allow everyone to speak their mind because he had gathered the most prudent people of the country and he should trust them. Well, but all of us, none of us control ourselves all the time when we're talking about important matters. But even at that level, his deep understanding of how friendship, freedom, and liberty. I'd love to talk about his assessment, this assessment that Chesterton gives that Thomas More was a turning point in the history of liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, called, he called him a champion of liberty. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we've got another minute. Uh, about one or two minutes. Yeah. So, so let, me, let me just have one one last question um, for our listeners. Where what's the best launching point as they throw themselves into study of Saint Thomas More? I would say his last work called "The Sadness of Christ." It's in the great paperback edition. It's perfect for Lent coming up in March. Mm. It's what he writes in the Tower. And it's a line-by-line line, line line commentary on Christ's most heroic moment mm-hmm. when his whole body rebels against his conscience. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you for that. And thank you for the conversation. Very nice. And the uh, th- thank you very much, uh, Dr. Sanford. Uh, this is the UD segment of the Good News Show. He comes in uh, every fourth Monday, um, uh, pretty much. There have been a couple of exceptions, but I think that's uh, that's been the, the 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 pattern so far. The book by Dr. Gerard Wegemer and also Stephen W. Smith is called "The Essential Works of Thomas More." And as uh, Dr. Sanford pointed out, it's it's a big book, but uh, you know you may not want to you know you may not read it in one sitting. <laughs> but uh, you know you you can go and find your best parts of it. But it looks really really intriguing. Thank you very much to be for being on the program today. Thank you, Dr. Sanford, for being here as well. And uh, again, the essential works of of uh, Thomas More, and they can get it. Amazon. Okay. Can the Catholic yeah. bookstores? We always like to go there first to have that. Are they at any of the local Catholic bookstores yet? It, it just came out, so it may okay. not be yet. All right. So go to the local Catholic bookstores and maybe they can order it. They or you can go to some sure. of those other uh, portals as well. All right. Also, thanks to Diane Xavier for uh, her work uh, on the program and uh, we thank you for listening. Don't forget, we got the car raffle going on. If you want to get uh, car raffle tickets or uh, help me set up Talks at your parish, just email me, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. We also like to promote everything that's going on, whether it be at UD or parishes or diocesan events or Catholic charities. I mentioned the Catholic Foundation dinner this Saturday, uh, February 1st. It's going to be at the, the Hilton Anatole. And uh, Joe Dingman is going to be honored. I'm going to be there. My wife's going to be there. And I uh, hope you are as well, because Catholic Foundation is an outstanding uh, apostolate organization. So that's going to do it. Uh, again, thanks for listening. This is the Good News Show. And uh, visit our website, uh, grnonline.com. You can visit the University of Dallas website, uh, udallas.edu. Uh, and uh, if you want to get in contact with me for any reason, my email and address is davepalmer at grnonline.com. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for the Good News Show here on KATH 910 AM on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Please join us next week at the same time for the next Good News Show. What is luxury? 
Perhaps it's driving away in a Cadillac CT5 luxury, pretending that you're Joe McLean or Dave Palmer or that other guy, Richard Renner, that you just won by purchasing a raffle ticket by calling 888-784-3476 or by going to grnonline.com. You either bought one for $25 or purchased five for $100. You're dangerous. Either way, you just supported Catholic Radio on the GRN. Hello, this is Larry Lenzen, Lenzen Insurance, proud sponsor of the trusted and faithful programming you hear every day here on KATH 910 AM. If you're 55 to 75 years old, have money saved for retirement, and are in need of advice about what to do with it, I would invite you to contact me so I can learn more about your retirement goals and tell you about an option called fixed annuities. I can be reached at 214-274-3236. Again, that's Larry Lenzen, 214-274-3236. Thank you. Hi, this is Rowena, a volunteer with KATH 910 AM. Are you looking for a way to bless the station in the new year? How about purchasing or helping to sell car raffle tickets for the upcoming drawing for a 2020 Cadillac CT5? Many hands make light work, and if many of us are helping sell tickets, we'll make sure the car raffle is a big success. If you'd like to get 10, 20, or even 30 tickets to sell to your friends, family, or coworkers, just email Dave Palmer at grnonline.com, and we'll get them mailed off to you right away. That's Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Kyle Eberlein, a prisoner at Good Shepherd Catholic Community in Colleyville. Our office is a proud sponsor of KTH 910 AM, and we fully support the mission of Catholic Radio and how it positively impacts our community. We live our faith at home and at work, so if you're in need of dental care, we would love to serve you and your family. You can visit us online at midcitiesdental.com or call us at 817-282-9321. St. Apollonia, pray for us. K-A-T-H, 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. At Friday's March for Life was...